Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number three of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What up, fellow entrepreneurs and founders? This is the Founder Podcast. So uh, hope you've all been having a great week. It's uh, really sunny here in Melbourne. We've just hit spring. I was just uh, outside relaxing in the sun, living the life of an entrepreneur, you know, making awesome magazine issues, creating next level episodes for you guys and uh, yeah, showing people what's possible. This weekend I'm going to the horse racing. It's the first official day of spring carnival. So yeah, the horse racing is quite big here in Australia and um, yeah really really pumped to just catch up with my friends and yeah just have a good time. So today we have Marion Cantwell. Before I go into a little bit about Marion I just wanted to share something with you which is a super cool quote. It's about the importance of showing up. It's uh, actually one of my all-time favorite quotes and it's 80% of success is showing up. And it's famously said by the man Woody Allen. And when I look at my life and all that I've achieved, it's merely because, honestly, I've just worked harder than most. I started the magazine about a year and a half ago. And, you know, the first day I went live with it, I made $5. And now, you know, I make a lot more money than that every day when I look at, you know, what iTunes is has paid me and you know I've worked seriously hard to get there and if you're ever feeling down or feeling like things aren't working for you just remember that we've all been there and you're not alone 
if you just keep showing up, I found it just, you always find a way to make things work. So yeah, that's it. That's it from me. That's just one of my little pearls of wisdom that I thought I'd share with you all. And uh, yeah, I'd love to connect with you. Drop me a line, nathan at foundermag.com. Tell me how I can help you. You can help me by leaving a five-star review for the podcast or checking out the magazine. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. If you're loving these interviews, you really love the magazine. It's it's my art. It's just a fun ride, and I'm really enjoying it. So that's it from me. And today we have a super cool chick called Marianne Cantwell, and she runs a blog called Free Range Humans, and she teaches people exactly how to ditch the nine to five. She goes into deep strategies around making money online and and what it takes to become a digital nomad. She literally travels around the world and blogs about her experiences around everything travel and online business and marketing and all that kind of cool stuff. And she reveals a common secret that uh, many people have, you know, when they start successful businesses that they never ended up admitting to, which is really interesting. And she shared with me uh, her strategy secrets on how she teaches other people how to leave the nine to five and just live the dream really by traveling the world and, and running your own online business. And she really, yeah, demystifies these processes. You're going to get a lot of value out of this interview. So if you if you want to do that kind of stuff, which, you know, I think is super cool, you know, who, who wouldn't want to travel the world and, and have a, a lifestyle business? You know, some of us, we want to build big startups. Some of us, we want to have massive impact on the world. Well, you know, Marion's having massive impact on the world and she's traveling around the world and meeting cool people and she's getting rewarded for it. And I think that's super cool. I think there's a lot you can learn from this interview. So I hope you guys are having a great week. And uh, now let's jump into this episode. Today's guest, we have Marianne Cantwell. Now she is all about creating a free range career that suits your lifestyle every day. She travels around the world running businesses from her laptop and teaches others how they can do the same. She's a best-selling author and the book that she's a best-selling author for is Be a Free Range Human and she's also an international speaker. She details a lot of her findings on her blog, freerangehumans.com. So I'd just like to thank you, Marion, for for coming and and speaking with me and, and sharing your insights about, you know, everything that you do and the life that you live and, and your entrepreneurial journey. Thanks. No, it's great to be here. Awesome. I'd just like to ask you, this is the question that I ask everybody that I interview for the magazine, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and, and what drives you and, and how you got started doing what you're doing today? Well, the thing I do now is I help people figure out what they want to do with their lives and how to do it in a way that is completely in flow for them and their personality and to basically take charge of creating the life that they want rather than looking out there for a solution that might fit. So at Free Range Humans, we're all about going, who are you? What really drives you? How can you stand out from the crowd by being yourself rather than following a cookie-cutter model of who you should be? And how can we put that all together in something that lets you, you know, live that life that you've kind of been putting in the one-day box? So that's what we do, and we have lots of online courses and all that stuff. So what I do is I blog. I write a 
weekly email called my Friday love letter, which is my main way of connecting with my tribe. Um, and it, it very much is a love letter. It's, it's awesome. And that's it. Um, by the way, you said it's freerangehumans.com. I think that might be a conspiracy theory website. Unfortunately, I have the hyphen. So it's free-range-humans.com. Yeah, Just a little heads up to everyone who's like, what on earth is that about? And that's what we do. And we run these really cool things like free the Free Range Festival, which is an online event with a virtual campground and lots of cool, playful stuff like that. Um, so we have a lot of fun at Free Range Humans. Wow. And I got into that because I used to be in a nine-to-five job, as I know a lot of your readers are, Nathan, and I was not exactly a happy bunny in that those environments. It didn't suit me. And no matter how many times I changed career, I kind of kept feeling like I'd fallen into something that was so far away from who I was that I just didn't know what to do with myself. And I finally broke out. I started running a few different businesses. I was consulting in my old field of strategy consultancy. I was doing some market research, which I'd worked in before. I was running a little cupcake company online, like just for a couple of months as a trial. And my main business was helping people, which is ironic write their CVs and interviews to get jobs. Wow. Isn't that funny? I was like, (laughs) I first first made money by helping people get jobs. And now I'm like, how about you don't have a job at all? Uh, And just in short, the reason Free Range Humans came about was it was a little blogging side project on the side of my career change, you know, interview skills business, which was, you know, going all right. And people kept asking me through that blog, how did you start your business? How did you break out? And even clients who came to me to say, well, help me work out what career I should do would actually ask me, well, actually, I'd really like to start a business. How did you do it? And so I started writing about that. And that grew into my main thing. And that's what I do now. So the whole, I've shut down everything else and free range humans is my main focus because it turns out that's what I love to do. And that's what people really want to hear about. So that's how it came about. Awesome. That's my story. <laughs> awesome. Now, there's a few things that I'd like to dissect from that. And the first was, can you give us a little bit of a rundown about, because it's such a, it's such a difficult thing to, to somebody that's, you know, locked in the daily grind to think, you know, how can I find something else and really do a, a 360 with your life and, and work out what's really meant for you? What, what sort of processes do you go through to help somebody find something that they love? So the first thing I say is that everyone comes to this process from a different place. So people ask, what's, you know, what's the process? What should I do first, second, third? And the question usually is, well, where are you in your thinking so far? Because everyone's life journey is different. And some people come to this having never, ever allowed themselves to dream at all. And that's why my book, actually start out with daring to dream other people are like you know what i've been dreaming for years pretty clear on the dream what do i do now so that's where they start and so it's very much tailored but the thing that i do in my book and my courses i think super super important i give as a big tip to anyone who's trying to do this is you need to separate out your big picture dream from your practical how-to's They are different things. So the mistake I see people make is they come to me and say, I'm completely overwhelmed. I've been trying to work out what I want to do, and I can't find anything that I'd like. I think I'll get bored of it after three months. I like so many things. I don't even know where to start. 
which is most of my niche, by the way, and totally me as well. <laughs> yeah, I like lots of different things. I can't decide. I have the, you know, the, the focus of a, you know, a small goldfish. And then every time I come up with an idea, it's unfeasible. So I give up and I go back to the beginning and I have lots of things. I'm really good at dreaming, but I don't have one big dream. Oh my God, what do I do? And I'm like, right, there are some key mistakes happening here. One is you're trying to figure out one thing to do with your life. And the big thing I tell people is if you're someone with multiple interests, multiple passions, if you have the attention span of a goldfish, you will never have one thing you want to do with your life. You will have multiple things. So, you know, I am totally that person. So free range humans is what I call a bespoke career. And I help people create bespoke careers in my book and my courses because it allows me to do things like have an idea, launch a festival, have an idea, write something, have an idea, create something different. It allows me to do these things within a space. I have another friend of mine who is a what we call a portfolio careerist. So his free range career is that he runs several different things that feed his multiple interests. So if either of us had said, how do we get paid to do one thing? Oh my God, I can't work it out. We wouldn't be doing what we did today. So if you go back to my story at the beginning, you know, when I first quit my job, I did three different things to explore and one of them led to free range humans and the others were things I still kind of do on the side for fun. So that's the first mistake. The second thing I'd, I'd say people, you know, watch out for if you're doing it is are you integrating your dream with the how-tos and the way that that happens is if someone goes well I have an idea but within 15 minutes or the next day I drop it because it's unfeasible because I go on Google and I look up what's happening and I'm like oh that's not going to work but I'm not sure I want to do it anyway but I don't think it would have worked anyway and you kind of go in this cycle it's like I think I had an idea but I'm not sure it's going to work I'm not sure what to do now Mm -hmm. and you're like actually working out what you want to do and working out the feasibility of it are two entirely different questions until you are clear on this is who I am and we always start with your personality not with an assumption about who you are but this is who I am this is my personality this is my style this is my natural strength this is where I shine and I'm happy shining and this is the area I want to go into then we go let's look at what you can do within that area and you don't go and interrupt your dream stage which is an actual fixed stage in my courses I have specific weeks for that you don't interrupt that with feasibility feasibility comes when you've clarified your dream because if you try to combine them you'll go into this sort of pinball thinking and that's how people get wound up in knots so no matter what stage you are I'd go with those two one is allow yourself to create a bespoke career with lots of different things in it and second one is stop pinball thinking separate out your dream stage give yourself several weeks months whatever from your practical stage which is the one that comes next that's my nutshell advice wow you you break it down really nicely and the first thing that comes to mind, which remains so true, is I talk to many people about my businesses and the things that I'm doing, certainly with the magazine, and people can see that what my dream is. And I have asked, you know, friends and, and family, and you know, like, what's your dream? And they all say to me, or, you know, have you ever thought about, you know, starting a business? And they always say, oh, look, you know, I haven't come up with an idea yet. It always comes back to people think that they're going to just have this miraculous idea that's going to, you know, go bangbusters and just go absolutely going to make so much money from it and there's going to be (laughs) no risk and just high reward. And it's just, I think, a really big common misconception. So I love the way that you've you've broken it down and you say you don't have to go with one thing because, you know, as entrepreneurs, 
usually when we start off doing something, the thing that we started out doing doesn't end up being the thing that makes us all yes. the money or that we're really passionate about. say that in my book as well. It's so true, Nathan. Yeah. Exactly and right. It's usually your second thing. It's usually the second project or the – actually, I've noticed a theme. Just sorry to interrupt. I've noticed a theme with people I've talked to lately that it was their side project mm. that takes off. A lot of bloggers, if you go and talk to a lot of popular bloggers at the moment, and I interview a lot of them for my book, they don't say it in public. When you really probe, they're like, oh, well, I started that on the side of something else. And and my theory is it's because you take the pressure off. And so you don't try to make it look a certain way. And so it's allowed to evolve into something more interesting. That's a, sorry, terrible interruption there. No, you're right. The theory. No, I I love, so I really like how you've broken it down. Like where you have, you have, you can start with many things, just start small. It can be all sorts of things, all sorts of interests, passions that drive you and start with the dream. I'm embarrassed to say this, but funnily enough, the first thing that I ever did in terms of business wise was I created a cologne review website. <laughs> and I, got, I can't believe how, how ridiculous it is. And I have never said this online yet, but yeah, gee, look, and this was a, a couple of years ago. If I thought I'd be doing what I am today, you know, I wouldn't even have a remote idea. So no, that was, that was great. I, I really like that. So what I wanted to touch on is once you've kind of established a dream and how do you get these people that are in the nine to five? Do you recommend that they just do a quit your job or, or a transition or, or how do you help people cope? Because it can be quite scary. Exactly. And this is where it gets super personal with the individuals. Everyone navigates change in different ways. Some of us do better when we're thrust into the moment and so others actually panic in that moment and are worse by being thrust in. I quit my job twice, by the way. The first time I quit, I was working for Disney, and I hated it. I was in their corporate offices. It was the worst job fit in the world. And I quit my job and decided I was going to go free range. Didn't even know what free range was. I picked up some contract work and then was like, I don't know how to do this, and went back into another job. Career change, but still went back to another job. So that was my first attempt. And that's not unusual, by the way. It's okay to quit your job, have a go, and then try something else. Because if I hadn't done that and seen that it was possible for me to get work on the side, I don't think I'd be doing what I do today. So that's the first thing. If you've quit your job before and you're thinking, but I gave to go, didn't work, just, you know, it was your first iteration. You can have two. It's fine. You can have three if you want. Um, <laughs> so that's the first thing. It's fine. It's all right. The second time I quit my job was was in the middle of a recession, which is a great time to quit your job and start a business in a new field where you have no reputation. There's some business advice from me there you might want to ignore. Um, But seriously, actually, it was the best time to quit my job. I left it. I'd done this whole thing, and I'm sure you've done this as well, Nathan, where I was like, look at all those people struggling in business. I can totally do better than that. And so I had this huge plan of how I was going to take over the world with my whatever business I had in my head at the time. I worked on it for like, you know, a year on the side and worked on it was a, is a glorified term of what I was really doing, which was faffing around with it. Mm. And then I was, you know, I negotiated to go part time because I, I was in a really stressful job, you know, 80 hour days working in the city with a slightly nutty boss. And I thought I can't do this, you know, even though I've been doing a lot on the side so far, I can't continue. And so I'd gone, I was about to go part time and the week before I was going to go part time, Things went tits up at work. I realized that this was not a place that would ever encourage anyone to have time for themselves. And I handed my notice and I quit and I wasn't ready. And that was the best thing I could have done now. I would never have all my planning, by the way, by that point, I realized was worthless. I'd spent a year planning. I didn't have any idea of until I got on the ground. 
And so what I tell my clients to do now is run projects. One thing I'd have changed in that whole year was instead of me going, I can't start to my, my website's up. I can't start to my logo's perfect. I can't start like pre-written a course I want to run or pre-written all the materials for my clients. I actually run projects. So I've actually written a blog post last week called What's the Stage Before Starting a Full-Time Business, where I share three stories of different types of projects that real people are running at the moment around this on the side. And that's what I tell people to do, because when I actually got into that mindset and was running projects, doing stuff on the side, that's when things absolutely took off. And that doing these experiments and these projects and doing things that allowed me to explore who I was and stand out as me is why by the end of my first year in the recession in a new field, I was earning as much as I had been in my old job. And if I had only done a linear route after I left, that wouldn't have worked. But this is something you can pick up and do on the side in your job before you make a decision about what you want to do. And then, you know, what? if you're like someone who says, you know, I know what I'm like, I just I will never do anything unless I quit. Then, you know, you feel free to make that decision for yourself, but don't feel that you're forced into it because you can't possibly start until you quit. It is a decision that you make. And either way, people do it both ways. So, you know, you'll be in good company, whatever you choose. That's great advice because I think what some people do, and, and this has, you know, happened to a friend of mine, is is he quit his job and then tried to work out what to do later. And then oh, six months yeah, six months has passed <laughs> and then nine months has passed. He's really stressed. He's trying to get money, trying to make money. And it, it just all becomes far too stressful. And you know why? Like if we go back to what we are saying before, Nathan, around combining the dream stage and the practical stage, if he needs to make money, he's in no state to dream. Yeah. And that's why I tell my clients, I always ask, I'm like, do you need to make money within the next three, maybe six months, or you're not going to be able to pay the bills? Is this what situation you're in right when you're coming to me? And if they're like, I need to make money in three months, I'm like, this is not a dream state right now. Like, what you need to do is a planned state. And I see this mistake a lot. People quit their job, email me and said, I've just bought your course. I've quit my job. And within three months, I'm going to work out what to do and put it up. I'm like, and you have no idea what you want to do and you want to dream. I'm like, it could take you three months to get back in touch with yourself. But we do a lot of stuff on, like, reactivating your, what we call your inner GPS, which is the thing that tells you, oh, my God, don't do that. Oh, yes, please do that. And that can take a whole while. So I just tell people, you know, it's, it's great, you know, to quit your job and have time off and do whatever you want, you know, go traveling, whatever it is. But don't put your pressure on yourself to say that within three months, I'm going to have, you know, after I've quit my job, I'm going to have had a great time, worked out what I want to do and started the business in a field I have no experience in and be making money. That's not feasible. What might be feasible is I know what I want to do. I'm going to quit my job, and within three months, I want to have my first clients and be set up and going, but I'm already clear on what I want. That's something that you can actually, it's a tight frame, but you can definitely get that going. So don't confuse dreaming with the creation, and don't put your house on the line by quitting your job, because you're not going to dream, and you're not going to make money. Neither of them will work. You have to give yourself space. And if that means, there's lots of ways, by the way. If you need to quit your job, you're going to go nuts because your boss is completely psycho. Then, you know, look at how else you can bring in money. So saying that I did, what kept me going for my first six months was actually that I picked up a bit of consulting work, which came to me after I quit my job. In both cases, when I left my job, it came afterwards. So I was putting my word out, word of mouth, you know, old clients, 
in one case, colleagues in a foreign office that wanted me to come over and help them, something I'd never done. So put your feelers out and go, what can I do that allows me to get an experience of being free range, but can tap into what else in my existing networks? Maybe you'll have to quit to allow that to come to you. And while you're doing that, you've got the space. You might be doing it three days a week. Maybe you're doing it for two weeks in a month and you're bringing in more money until you have a week off. How can you create that experience if you know you have to quit your job and give yourself time to create your free range dream as well as doing that? There are lots of ways. You don't have to stay in that job, but don't think it's an either or situation. Yeah, look, I love I love that. And just to touch on that, someone that I interviewed for the magazine, the last issue, or a couple of issues ago, his name was Tom Ewer, and he, he's a freelancer, and he believes that everybody has, and it's true, that everybody has a skill set that they can sell, and they can, you know, out freelance or do something on the side to get a little bit of cash. And so, you know, you're right, that's a great point. That's really cool. So I wanted to touch on setting up a business for under $100. Yes. Now, this is something that can be achieved? If it's an online business, yes. Run and through what that, I mean, like, okay, so here's, we, if we break, I love breaking things down. It makes it simpler. So if you look at what are the key components of setting up an online uh, business, it would be you want a way to communicate with potential clients. You want a way to have potential clients actually find you. And you want a way to be delivering your services and or online products. So let's just put in that realm because as soon as we get physical products and stuff, your costs are going to go up. So going really clear. So if you're delivering, say, consulting, coaching or online products, how do you do that? Go under, say, $100 or so. My math is always a little bit vague, by the way. So we're going $100 or so. So firstly, I'd look at how do you get your, your people to know who on earth you are? Do you need to spend money on that? And there's something I talk about in the book, which I call the $100,000 test, something that I did, made up myself when I was in that, running that business that wasn't, you know, it was going all right, but wasn't really taking off yet. And I kept having this excuse for myself. I kept saying, if only someone would give me like $100,000, I could just really make this thing take off. And one day I sat down and I said, what would I do with that? And so I started writing down, it's all in the book, the details of what I wrote down. I wrote down all the things that I thought that I would do with it. And then I put my marketing hat on, because you know, I had a marketing strategy background. I was like, will any of that stuff actually make a difference? And I was like, probably not. And I realized that the stuff I thought I had to spend money on, luckily I did know a little bit about it, was actually stuff that I could get pretty much like 80% of the results with or 90% of the results with without actually shelling that money out. So that's the attitude we look here. So if you look at, you know, what do you need to bring clients into an online business? Do you need to pay for anything? I have never paid for ads to bring people to my business. I've paid for ads, like Facebook ads to split test things like book titles and stuff, but that's a geeky future thing. Did I pay for ads to start out? No, not once. You don't need that. What you need is, I'm sure you're going to hear from a billion people, but I'll say it again, you need solid content to prove that you know your stuff. And we're talking blog posts and videos. Almost any field that you're in, you will get a huge boost if you can prove to people that you know your stuff by sharing content. You can do that by setting yourself up with a blog. It's free. It's awesome. If you want to get yourself a hosted blog, then you can go with something like Bluehost or whatever. And if you break down the monthly costs of that, 
it's not huge. You can get a hosting account and you set up your site for free using a decent theme, put it up there and you can have as many sites as you want. If you want to go even like more free, you can get yourself a free blog, either one. So your costs are really low there. You've created great content and then you can offer to guest post on other people's blogs and that's free. And that's a great way because they'll link back to you driving traffic and you still haven't paid for any ads by this point you can go and connect with people in your field who might be running events if you like doing workshops so something that got me kind of fairly well known in the UK within about nine months of starting was connecting with an organization that had a huge base of people I could see they weren't making money that they should be I went in I was writing for them and I went and had a conversation after writing and said hey would you like me to run these events and get people to pay you bring in the people I'll organize everything else like I'll make sure it works and that it's really good quality they said yes and my profile went up this is all free and these are just some examples there'll be a billion others now, if you got to the stage of like, you're like, I got people in, I haven't paid much money yet. What do you do now? You've got to keep in touch with them, right? So how, how do you do that? Well, you can do it via social media. So Facebook is free, Facebook fan page, for example, yeah. or you can do it via a mailing list. You can set that up for free on MailChimp. I use Aweber, which is paid for, but I started out with much less fancy systems. So MailChimp is free and something people use. Again, you haven't paid up, then you can keep going up. How do you sell stuff online? What do you need to pay there? I created until recently where we're shifting systems up until now I've created my own courses using a word document and a PDF converter and these are courses that sell for like for it, converting it into dollars would be like around $800 at a time they're free I use audible to record my audio I use Vimeo or YouTube to put up my videos I use iMovie to do the edits and then I post them on my website and sell them using eJunkie, which costs $5 a month as a shopping cart, and PayPal, which just takes a percentage fee. Again, we, we haven't paid anything, and your delivery is entirely then done. If you're doing it as a one-off course, eJunkie can do it. If you're doing it a bit more complicated, you might then want to upgrade to something like Aweber, which will deliver your emails one at a time. So that's that's when you start you know, paying maybe a little bit more for that. But up until that stage, you can deliver everything by hand. If you're doing it not as a course, if you're doing it as consulting or coaching sessions, you don't need any of that shit. You need a PayPal button, and that's free, except they, you know, they'll take a percentage of your fee. When I first did my coaching, by the way, the very first coaching I sold, I didn't even know PayPal was like a thing you could use. I got people to transfer money to my bank account. That was free as well. <laughs> um, that's not the greatest system, by the way. Use PayPal. It's much better. But what I'm just saying is do not get hung up on fancy systems that are going to cost you the earth. The only thing that I would spend money on that's any good is if you're going to pay for an email, like an autoresponder like Aweber, just to keep in touch, send weekly emails, pay for a good one, which is why I love Aweber, or go with something like MailChimp. Don't pay up for a system that you haven't got a lot of recommendations for, and that goes for pretty much anything. Unless you've got a lot of recommendations and you're certain that you need it, go for something simpler and yeah, my math's a bit off, but I don't think we've mentioned big numbers yet. And that's how I ran my business for, you know, up until, you know, about a year ago, I didn't pay for anything much. And now we've got numbers, I'm starting to upgrade. So you don't need to do it straight away. Hmm, fascinating. Now, there's a few things I wanted to touch on from that. And one of those was, like you said, something that you hear so often is write great content, write epic content. And it comes up a, a bit in my interviews that people say that. And I just wanted to know because I, I was introduced to you and I had a look around on, on your blog and, and you're a great writer and you do write some really interesting stuff. 
And I just wanted to know, how do you go about gauging if it is great content? I think there is a few things. I think some people would say, oh, the response you get. But actually, it's really hard. If you're starting out, you don't have much of a readership. How do you know? That's right. Um, it's super, super difficult. And I don't think this is a numbers game, especially because I ran, well, I would say it was you know, more than a full-time business. As in, like, I was making more than I had in my old city job with a mailing list of like a thousand for quite a while before I started getting known and my numbers going up. So you don't need huge numbers. And the reason I say that is what is important is the level of emotional engagement and intellectual engagement that people have with your content. So do people come across your content? Just say you set pass it on to say three or four members of your niche, people who are really the right people, not borderline, totally right. Is someone going to email you back and go, oh my God, I think you just crawled into my head and like, read what I was thinking. If someone's not saying that to you, you might not have epic content. What you might have is pretty good content. The stuff that really takes off and that makes a difference in the world and draws people to you at the same time is the stuff that when you say it, it hits a chord that people know to be like really true to them. So who are you writing for? Are you saying something that when you read it, you're like, you know what, this is what I want to say to them. If they were standing in front of me and I had the guts to say it, that's the stuff that's absolutely epic and it resonates with them. So it's not written just for the sake of it. It's not written because you think it will be good. It's something that resonates with them. And when you start doing that, even if you have small numbers, you'll start realizing people say things like, wow, how, how did you know I was thinking that? Wow, that really touched me. So I get things, my Friday love letter, was um, the reason that started was that I wasn't confident enough to post my real stuff on my blog. Oh. And I wanted a space. Yeah, it was a really interesting experiment. So I did it, created a little mailing list, I started sending it, and I started saying the stuff that I wasn't sure I wanted to make public. But now my mailing list is ridiculously like big, and I'm like, shit, I'm mailing all these people, all this really stuff that I don't post on my blog still. I, I post about say a third to 50% of it on the blog. A lot of it's not posted still. But I feel that because people opted in, it's a different audience. They've chosen to receive it, chosen to be there. So that's a great experiment. But when I started realizing this thing was a thing, was I had a tiny email list made up of people who came to you know these workshops this other company ran and a couple of people who came across my website. And when I started getting one or two emails after a post saying, wow, that really touched me, or that made a huge difference to my week. Thank you. And I started realizing what were the patterns, which were the emails or the, the blog posts that people really resonated with. And if you keep putting out content, you'll start getting a feel for it yourself, and you'll start getting a feel for how people are responding. So that's where I start. I start creating it, creating it with the idea of authenticity. Are you doing it as if you're talking to them? And also listening out for it. But please don't listen to what everyone says. Some people will not like what you're writing, and that's fine. In fact, that's great because it means it's strong enough for someone else to love it. So really tap into the people you want to be listening to. Yeah, no, that's right. And one thing that was blurting out at me that I have to ask you is, to write, I think to to really get the money that you you deserve, or to be able to you know maintain your a lifestyle, or to be able to build a career, I guess as an entrepreneur, you really have to be able to provide a decent amount of value to your community. Mm, now, yeah. one thing that you might you might have, and and I've struggled with when I first started is I didn't really think so much about the value i'm more cared about the money do you find that when you when you help people when they're first starting out they're more concerned about the money and not the level of value that they're providing 
exactly, completely the same. And I think it's because, to put it bluntly, when you're starting out and you're a little bit like there's a, a tint of desperation going on, it's like, but, you know, I, this stuff about value and doing stuff in line with who you are, that's all fluffy. That's extra. That can come later as a nice add-on when I've worked out how to bring in the money. And when you're in that space, which I have completely been in, I know what it's like, you're not in a space to take in information about value. So when I teach people this stuff and when I wrote my book, a lot of my time went into writing and creating it in a way that got across this message that you and I you know, both really buy into around value by always focusing on what the benefit was for the person providing the value. So I think it's really important for anyone who's listening to this who has thought, oh, this stuff, that value and this and that, but damn it, how do I just bring in the money, is to I mean, have a look at my book. I, I talk about it a lot in part four. But the, the important part of it is that it's not disconnected. And you'll see the theme that when people start focusing on value rather than just on sales, they both come together. And this doesn't mean just provide value and forget about making money. It, they, they are both the same thing. So the best way that I like to explain it to people is whatever field you're in, it's going to be clowned, it's going to be competitive. And if it's not, it will be soon. That's the, kind of the truth of any decent field. Why would someone choose you over someone else? Mm. The only reason would be they believe that you're going to provide them with awesome value because either you get them and you can improve that through your content, you get them more deep than anyone else, you have a style that makes them go, I want that, that's really attractive to them, or you know your stuff amazingly. And the only way you're going to prove that is by proving your value before they've even contacted you to ask to buy something, because they won't be contacting you to ask to buy something otherwise. And even if they do contact you and you haven't proven your value, you're going to struggle to close that sale. So they're completely and utterly connected. You can't get people excited about working with you until you create value. And it's kind of like if you don't create value and you're desperate about making money, it's like you're walking into an empty room and shouting out about your services, but no one is there or everyone's back's turned. It's by creating value that people actually turn around to you and you don't even need to shout anymore. So that's how I get people to reconnect. And, why, and I say other thing I noticed, Nathan, is when people have broken through that barrier and have started to make things work for them, that is when I feel that they really get the fact that it was the value creation that got them there. And once they get that fact, they totally buy into it. So I always start by making it connect with them before we go on to getting them to buy into it by themselves. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. And, that, and that's some really great advice. I love that. And it comes back to something that I was actually reading about, and that was about your one key fan, because I'm not sure if you've heard of the term one key fan or you've probably heard of the term a thousand true fans. And yeah. what that is is pretty much if somebody – your one key fan or your avatar, as you will, is somebody that just adores everything that you write, that you connect with them really, really well, and they listen to what you have to say. And yeah. once once you have that one key fan and you work out what they're like and their, their avatar, more or less, there'll be more than one person that is like that. And all you yeah. have to do is just find at least a thousand of them. And what the theory is, is if you have a thousand followers a thousand true fans a thousand fans you will be financially substantial yeah thousand true fans definitely people who are super excited want to spread the word and you know, again that's something that comes out of like this creating value as well 
Yeah, yeah, I know. That's awesome. I love it. So let's switch gears a bit. Before we got on the call, we were talking about travel and stuff. And I know you do a lot of traveling from your laptop. Now, mm-hmm. I just want to know, how do you go about organizing your time? Because I'm an avid traveler too, and I've actually struggled to be able to do work while traveling when you're always on the go and, and you're always trying to see these places and do these things. How do you, how do you go about organizing your time and, and prioritizing and stuff like that? Do you have any tips and tricks that you could, could provide? I think it's really good to get um, – I laugh at this because I am the least organized person on the planet. Hilarious question. Um, and I think that's actually the reason I think it's going to be a good answer is that it's really important to get honest about who you are. This, I tell you this about everything, but it's so important. Like, you know, you're your biggest business's biggest asset, and if you're essentially lying to yourself about what your biggest asset can and can't do, it's not going to work out. So look at who you are. Look at your patterns. When do you work best? Do you, are you someone who works best in intense bursts? Do you work best when you're switching tasks throughout the day? Do you someone who works really, really hard and then sort of wants to take time off? Or are you someone who prefers things to be slow and steady and consistent over a period of time? What's your style? So for me, I'm going to answer from my perspective because the only one I can answer from on this question, and that is I am very intense work-wise and I work in bursts and then I take time off. And once I got into that, I was so much happier and got so much more done. So the way I work is at the moment, I'm, I'm kind of really like reevaluating things. I'm creating my very first in-person event in Bali next year. So I'm kind of pulling back at the moment. I'm not launching anything. If I was launching, I would be staying up till, you know, late at night, no matter where I was in the world. I'd be like working super hard. I'd be creating the sales page, be doing the video. I'd be creating the course, whatever it was all out, be running it, and I'd be off for a month. And I would, you wouldn't hear from me after that. I see. And that's how I work. It's really, it kind of works for me, right? But I think in terms of time management in general, when you're on the road, aside from that, you know, how do you actually work? The second thing I'd say would be look at what you need to do for the next few months. And even if you're someone who's like, I don't know what I'm doing in three months' time, that's fine. Are you likely to need to be delivering something or bringing in money, you know, in three months' time or in two months' time? And if so, what sort of resources do you need available to you? So something I like to do is I like to stay in one place for you know, a minimum of a month, usually up, up to three months, and scheduling what I'm doing based on what's available to me and what I'm going to want to see and do while I'm out there. So it might be, you know what, for the next three weeks, I'm going to be fairly intensely working, so I'm not going to move around. I'm just going to have normal days in the local area. But next month, I know I want to go on a side trip and I'm probably going to really want to explore this new area. So we're going to tone down what we're doing and tone up the work before you get there. So you create, essentially design your life, your business Mm -hmm. based on the life that you've got booked in. And obviously, make sure that the business is bringing in the money to support that life as well. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally, totally. I have two last questions for you because you have to work at wrapping things up. And I just wanted to start with like a bit of a, a comment, and that was since the moment you're born, you society has a life plan for you, and that's you go to school, you get good marks, you hopefully get a good job from it, you make good money, you buy a house and have a family, the end. I'd just like to hear what your take is on that. I think that, firstly, I, I am so against that ship. But secondly, <laughs> I, I honestly think that having a default 
plan or a path to life is dangerous because it doesn't allow you to explore who you are, explore who, what you and your family or whatever else want and to iterate. So firstly, it's not just that path that I have an issue with. It's the fact that it is a path. For some people, it's going to be the right path. Some people are actually going to be really happy with that, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not mm, telling right. everyone to quit their jobs. I actually know I have friends who are very happy in that path, and that's really cool. But I always ask where things come from. And I'm sure you know, some of you know this, but that particular path isn't something that humans have always done. It's not the natural order of things at all. And it's actually based on an industrialist model where you know, schools were developed to develop factory workers. So if you look at the entire school system from uniforms and all that, that was developed in the industrial era in, the, you know, in England to create factory workers. That's where our current education system comes from. So if you ever feel like you're factory farmed in a school where do you think that came from? So what are schools developing you for? They're developing you for certain types of work. That's what they were always done. They've tried to develop. They haven't developed very well. They certainly haven't developed very well for our modern era. So when I was at school, you know, I went to school in Australia, and I got really good marks, you know, top marks in the state, and I was supposed to go on and do medicine or law, as you would, and I didn't. And that decision is something I definitely don't regret to this day because – when you get great marks or when you're a high performer in a job, wherever it is, people say, oh, look, there's so many doors open to you. But the truth is that what that society really means is there are certain doors open to you that you're allowed to take. Those doors are very narrow, but you should be grateful for them being open because they have high status. Mm. And what I'm really most people in my tribe are actually quite high achievers. You know, I was, you know, same thing at university. I was a you know, top performer in my university as well. And again, people would assume I'd go in a certain direction, and I didn't. And the reason was, I, for somehow I cottoned on to quite a young age that options really should mean options. Options shouldn't mean you go and do the highest status thing. That's not an option. That is as narrow as you having got the worst grades or the lowest performance review at work. Right. Yeah. If your only option is to become the CEO or become a vice president, which, you know, some of my clients were facing before they came across your own humans and you don't want to. And you're like, but I have to because I am that performer. You're like, you've worked so hard all your life in your school and in your job. And you're telling me now that the reward for that is that you really don't have options. And that isn't that ironic, right? Yeah, we work hard to get that. options. And then it, yeah, so that, that's my take on it. If anyone's in that position right now, school, you know, a job, high performers, whatever, I just say really look at the word options in front of you. you know, what I did when I, I – this is a school example. I know most people listening are much older. But when I got my grades you know, my, in New South Wales, I got my HSC, I looked at my mark. And instead of saying, what do I get? You know, in the, things you've got 99, what do we do? I looked at my grade and said, what do I do from there and below? And I did an arts degree in the end. I specialized in film and English and my creative writing classes are the thing that currently drive my business because I learned how to write and how to create. And if I had gone on and do the things that I was supposed to do that was supposed to be high value, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing as easily i would have had to have learned a lot more so do instead of looking at your options within the the top category look at your options down and decide whether you want to be in a standout performer in another field can you take something and make it your own because the final thing i say is in free range lands as i call it the status is very different as a free ranger entrepreneur whatever you want to call it 
it's not about you go from here to there. It's what do you create? And what if you took all your energy or your drive or your intelligence that's got you to this point and you put it into something you'd love to do? What if you created, focused on making that the best it could be and the best you could be rather than following someone else's path? I think that's something that creates a lot more options for you. Yeah, and it's it's a lot more exciting, I think, personally, right? Oh, so much more fun. <laughs> and it's yeah, how good is it just waking up and just excited about the day, not having to, you know, get the train to work and, and be there at a certain time. And yeah, look, oh. well, that was that was a great answer. So thank you. My last question I have for you is: Are there any words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience listening now? Keep in mind that our audience would be young entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, yeah. novice entrepreneurs. What would you like to yeah. – That something, maybe something that you wish you had have known from your journey, living your dream right now, which may have got you there faster? I'm not sure. It's certainly up to you. Yeah. Something really simple I've got is know that – what you bring, like the person that you are, your personality, all the things about that that you might currently think are disadvantages, that maybe you're not organized enough, or maybe you're super organized and not creative enough. Whatever it is that you think are the biggest disadvantages about you that you're trying to hide, that you're trying to put away, that you're trying to compensate for, know that they are the key to your biggest advantage. That when you absolutely get into who you are, and understand your greatest strengths, you're not going to be focusing on your biggest disadvantage. So what if, this is just one question to leave you, what if you knew that because you were that super organized person and you kept killing yourself for being too not creative enough, what if there were people who would absolutely love to have you helping them and working with them for the person you are, not the person you think you should be? What if you were that disorganized person with a billion ideas at once who's trying to pack yourself in and look more professional? And if you were able to find out that actually there is a niche of people who would love you for who you are, if only you could capture it. That's something I found time and time again with myself, my clients, and my colleagues, is that when we stop fighting who we are and we start making it the center of what we do, that's when true success happens. So I'd leave you with that. Look at your disadvantages now. What are you trying to hide? What if they were the key to the thing that's going to bring you the most alive? You didn't have to pretend to be someone else every day. There's going to be something in that for everyone. Wow, that was very, very touching. That's probably the best answer or, or best words of wisdom I've got so far. So, so thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> epic. That was epic. I have to wrap things up, but look, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to speak with me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And for those listening, make sure you go to Marion's blog at www.free-range-humans.com. Make sure you purchase her book. There will be an ad within the magazine. And, yeah, look, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great speaking with you, Nathan. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic 
and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.